Well, it's good to be here with you all in um, for the churches in the Mid-Atlantic states. Um, at the beginning of the year, I was looking forward uh, to come in person to be with you all. Um, some of you know that I spent some time there in the uh, 70s. Um, it was actually my <clears throat> first migration uh, to the East Coast, my first experience of migration. But anyhow, by the Lord's sovereignty this time, uh, due to the COVID, uh, we all get um, uh, locked down. And um, uh, so we have uh, to do it uh, virtually uh, using this uh, Zoom platform. So <clears throat> in spite of uh, uh, the seemingly a frustration, I really thank the Lord for this uh, provision, uh, still able to connect with each other, uh, still see many faces, uh, familiar faces uh, on the screen, and uh, we're able to uh, speak the word of God and also for you to hear, to receive, and to respond. I feel very uh, uh, blessed uh, that even in this time of uh, pandemic, the Lord gave us this uh, provision for us as his body to stay connected. I think uh, if this thing happened to us 30, 40 years ago, uh, we would have been stuck. Uh, we would been, have been very much uh, frustrated. And um, but thank the Lord uh, that we can have this time. Uh, the Brothers Arrange, uh, we have four uh, message meetings, and uh, as you can see from the outline, um, <clears throat> I'd like to fellowship with you this weekend on this um, wonderful subject uh, concerning the vision and experience of the corporate Christ, the body Christ, as the testimony of Jesus to usher in the kingdom of God. Is a rather long title. Uh, it includes, uh, it's included uh, a number of very important uh, matters, items, uh, such as the corporate Christ, the body Christ, the testimony of Jesus, the kingdom of God. I believe um, uh, these messages uh, are from the Lord and they also have this timeliness, uh, surely seeing where we are today <clears throat> in history, uh, in the Lord's uh, recovery. Um, so we want to see something and also uh, to be brought into uh, the experience of what is called the corporate Christ or the, and the body Christ to be the testimony of Jesus, to bring in the kingdom of God. Well, <clears throat> with the testimony of Jesus, uh, some, may have, some may realize this is a uh, particular uh, expression used by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. Uh, and <clears throat> with the expressions, the corporate Christ, the body Christ, I'm not sure that uh, all the saints uh, are clear uh, of this. 
especially for the sake of many uh, new ones, young ones among us. Uh, such a term, you may be surprised. Uh, you may be a little uh, have some question. Uh, you have you are familiar with uh, the person Christ as our savior, a savior Christ, <clears throat> a wonderful Christ, a lovely Christ, a sweet Christ, all inclusive Christ. But you have never uh, have considered the, this matter of the corporate Christ or the body Christ. <clears throat> These two are in apposition. When we talk about the body Christ, we are referring to the body, we're corporate Christ, we're referring to the body Christ. Although such expressions are not in the Bible, but the thought is surely there. The thought is surely there. And it is so crucial for us to see this matter because this is what the Lord wants to recover in these last days. Well, although this is, uh, this ex- this such uh, an ex- uh, ex- expression is not used in the Bible, but if you read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12, well, particularly verse 12, where Paul says, even as the body is one and has few members, yet all the members of the body, being many, are one body, so also is the Christ. Well, if you uh, read such a verse carefully, here you can understand Paul is uh, talking about our human body, that even as our human body is one, and but it has many members, It has many parts, and yet all the members of the body, being many, are still one body. I have many, I have two two arms, two hands, two legs, uh, many parts, but still one body. Then, logically, Paul should say, so also is the church as the body of Christ. So, uh, uh, logically, because that is the what is describing the church as the body of Christ is one, but it has many members. But that's not what Paul says here. At the very end of this verse, he says, so also is the Christ. What kind of Christ is this? The Christ who is one, yet with many members. Many members, yet is still one. So this is a strong basis in the scripture that we say our Christ is a corporate Christ. In fact, in this verse, before the word Christ, there is a definite article, the, particularly stressing this is not the common Christ that people know. But Paul is talking about the Christ, a particular Christ, the Christ, the Christ that is comprised of not just the head Christ, but also the body Christ, the head and the body added together to become, to comprise the corporate Christ and the body Christ. Paul could say such a word because 
when he was on the way to Damascus to persecute the believers, that uh, the light from heaven struck him down. And the voice from the heaven spoke to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was caught by surprise. He was on the way to persecute the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus. But who is this voice speaking to me from the heavens? And Jesus, I know, he is gone. He is crucified. He is terminated. He is over. He is buried. Why is he speaking to me? And I'm persecuting. I'm going to lock up these uh, followers of him. Then he says, he responded to this voice, telling him, saying, Who are you, Lord? Then the voice responded, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I believe that that reply, that speaking from the heaven, deeply penetrated Paul. He put one and one together. Here he was persecuting these Christians, these followers of Jesus. But the voice from the heaven tell him, tells him that he is persecuting me, the me, the corporate me, the universal me, who is Jesus. So he realized that to persecute all these members of, uh, of Christ, the believers of Christ, is the same as persecuting Jesus himself. So from that day, I believe the light from the heaven shine into him to realize that this Jesus is not so simple. This Jesus is not is no longer is no is not just buried and over. He is very much alive and he is very much alive in connection with all his believers in oneness with all his believers. To touch those believers is the same as touching him. That's why in his epistles, when he wrote the epistles to to Ephesus, to Corinth, he had this kind of uh, boldness and the assurance to say, the body, the church is the body of Christ, is the fullness of the one who fills all in all, And in 1 Corinthians, he could boldly say, this body is the Christ. And I hope, brothers and sisters, that by the Lord's mercy, through these few messages, our eyes may be enlightened to see this great matter of the corporate Christ, the body Christ. This is the testimony of Jesus that is stressed in the book of Revelation again and again. This testimony of Jesus, we will see, is not an individual testimony that is borne by you and I as separate Christians, individual Christians. The testimony of Jesus that the Lord is desirous to gain in these last days is that of the corporate Christ, is this body Christ. This is also the one new man that we have been speaking about in the recent years. The corporate man, the full-grown man, this is the corporate Christ. Now we come to this uh, 
first message. The title of this is "The Lost Recovery of the Corporate Christ, the Body Christ." The first point says, "What we need today is the heavenly, living, up-to-date, and instant vision of the Lord's present recovery." Aren't you happy that you are in the Lord's recovery? I am. I am very grateful to the Lord that I'm still in His recovery. Not only in His recovery in general, but in His present recovery. For the sake of many new ones, brothers and sisters, to be <clears throat> the Lord's recovery, <clears throat> we many call us. We also call ourselves. Uh, this is not our designation. This is not another sect in Christianity. Beside the Presbyterians, the Baptists, there is the Lord's recovery. No, the Lord's recovery is not our name, is not our designation, and is not another kind of movement among Christians. The Lord's recovery is a description of. The Lord's doing what He what He is doing among us. To recover something implies that something was there uh, originally, <clears throat> but due to different circumstances, it got damaged, it got lost, it got、um, uh, is ruined, and it needs to be recovered. It needs to be restored, and we know from church history. That since the end of the first century, the degradation of the church set in, and especially through the thousand years of dark ages <clears throat> under the Roman Catholic system, that much of the divine truth, much of the pure word of God, was ignored, was neglected, was、uh, missed, was misinterpreted. So it's not until the time when God raised up Martin Luther about 500 years ago that a substantial recovery began to take place, to recover truths after truths, and through also the British brethren, even much more in a much more intensified way, the Lord's recovery had was continuing, was advancing. And up to the time that <clears throat> the Lord raised up Watchman Nee in China, and later on, and Brother Witness Lee, these are brothers who stood on the shoulders of the ones who have gone before to recover all the neglected, all the missed and misinterpreted truths in the Word. So, to re- the recovery is not a kind of movement. Or system of any kind, but is our desire for the Lord to bring us back to what was originally in His heart. Remember, in Matthew chapter chapter nineteen, when the Pharisees came to ask Jesus about the matter of divorce, that they asked Him, "Do you allow divorce? Moses allowed. As long as we have a document, then we can <clears throat> divorce the wife." Then Jesus replied, telling them, "Yes, Moses allowed you because of the weakness of your heart, because of your weakness. But 
Then he says, but in the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, it has not been like this. It was because of your weakness. Moses temporarily allowed you to accommodate your weakness. But in the beginning, it was not so. There was no such thing. It was one man for one woman. They became one flesh, and that's it. So by that little instance, we can see in the Lord's heart, he always stood with what was in the, in, the, in the original thought of God. So today, after these 2,000 years of church degradation, uh, and still, <clears throat> we are still living in degradation uh, as a whole. The entire uh, Christendom is a deviation, is a degradation from what God wanted, desired in the in in the uh, 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 original time. So the Lord has to raise up His recovery, and this recovery has been going on. I mentioned Martin Luther. Well, the recovery actually did not just start from him; even much earlier but I would say a substantial <clears throat> step of the, of the recovery work began with Martin Luther and then through other inner life uh, believers and the British brethren and so forth, and then us. So the Lord's recovery has been advancing, and we say here the Lord has a present recovery. Up to today, we are in the 21st century. What is the Lord recovering? We have, I say we are standing on the shoulders of all the ones who have gone before us. They have, they have brought so much riches to us. We owe to them. We owe to Martin Luther. We owe to the, uh, uh, the inner life Christians. We owe to these uh, British um, uh, teachers like uh, Nelson, uh, John Nelson Darby and Newton and so forth. But the Lord's recovery has not stopped there. <clears throat> he has been advancing. And today, <clears throat> among us, he has brought us through Brother Nee and Brother Lee to uh, greater heights, to deeper depths of his truth, of greater lights. So we, want, we don't want to stop short uh, with what we had gotten in years past, in decades past, centuries past. We want to be up to date with the Lord with what he is recovering with us today. <clears throat> then we, I continue, we need to ask the Lord to free us from the cage of our religious and natural concepts so that we may soar in a clear sky to see and be recovered back to God's original intention and his central revelation. Saints, I hope in these two days of this weekend conference, we all, beside listening to the messages, we will ask the Lord, Lord, set me free from the cage of religions and my natural concepts. I mentioned that uh, during the thousand years of dark ages, that uh, through the Roman Catholic system, much of all the divine truths, all the precious things of God were locked up. They were put in a cage. 
even the Bible as the Word of God was caged. No common believers was allowed to read the Bible by themselves. They need to go. They needed to go through an intermediary class <clears throat> to get there, to get to read, to get the interpretation. It's not until that God raised up this young man Martin Luther. He rose up, and he unlocked the door of this cage. He set free the people from that cage, from that prison, from that、uh, system of. Uh, the religious system,、uh, even the system of natural concepts with many different philosophies, now God's people can be set free. At that time, only with a small item of truth concerning man can be justified by faith. Oh, you did not know. We don't know how great that little uh, 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 release of the truth was. That was a great emancipation. Of all the、uh, all the fear, all the doubts, and all the condemnation, people were set free from under、uh, the influence of the Roman Catholic system, and now they can be set free. What to enter into the truths? The truths has set them free, as the Lord says in John eight, right? My truth, the truth shall set you free, free from what? Free from all the bondage of religion, of the natural concepts. So, <clears throat> how about us? Well, today many of us <clears throat> we are here in the Lord's recovery. Well, are we totally free? It depends. It depends. Just because we are, you know, positionally we are in the Lord's recovery, doesn't mean that conceptually, inwardly. We are totally set free. We may still hold on to some、uh, prior concepts, natural concepts, even religious concepts. Right? We need to ask the Lord. Lord, I don't want to be in your recovery in just a kind of a formal, outward way. I want you to shine into me, set me free, unlock the cage, let me fly, let me soar in a clear sky. To see and be recovered back to God's original intention, dear saints, we cannot take for granted just because we are in the so-called local churches, we are safe, we are set free. Maybe outwardly, but maybe but maybe inwardly, still we are very much locked up, very much encaged. So we need this. We need the truths. The further unveiling of the truths, even though maybe many of the things we are touching this weekend, if you have been with us for some years,、uh, we are repeating some of these points. But believe me, brothers and sisters, I have been around for over fifty years in the Lord's recovery. These things are not old to me. I would have to testify to you; these are very fresh to me. I need to see this over and over and over again. The Lord need to empty us, that we would be poor in spirit, we will be pure in heart, we will not be uh, content, uh, become become content with what we have gotten. We do want we don't want to become Laodicea,、uh, just to to become lukewarm, to become passive, 
to become self-content, we want to move forward. Saints, we are living in the last part of this age. It's no time to waste. We cannot afford to play to to play around. The Lord wants to gain us to be the people who are one with Him, who enter Him with His heart. May the Lord grant us a clear sky. I like these verses in Ezekiel chapter one, when Ezekiel was by the river Kibar. It says it tells us that the heaven was open to him. Saints, we need to pray again and again. Lord, open the heavens to me. When the heavens is close, close to us, that is a sign of curse, right? When the heavens is open to us, that is a real blessing. Dear saints, since the time of Brother Lee, a brother watchman Lee was raised up <clears throat> until today. It's nearly 100 years, more precise, 98 years, since 1922. And even after these two great servants of God have passed on, right? 23 years ago, Brother Lee went to be with the Lord. And the Lord is still here with us. And we are, the Lord's recovery is still going onward. The Lord wants, to, wants his recovery to keep going on until his return. There's no time for him to go and raise up another country to find another people. The Lord is working with us. He is with us. And we want to keep going forward with him. And I, you know, I believe we can all testify the Lord is still speaking to us these days in the conferences, in the trainings. The heaven is open to us. And not only the heavens open to us, in Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, it, Paul, uh, Ezekiel mentions that above him, there is a clear firmament. There is a clear expanse. The sky is clear. <clears throat> I don't know how, about, how is it out there on the eastern seaboard. Well, in California right now, it's pretty clear. We have, uh, uh, so far, the weather is pretty good. Um, we, have, we are just hitting a very hot heat wave right now. Uh, it's coming to be a, actually record heat this, uh, this weekend. It's going to be very, very, we're, we are bracing for it. Um, but uh, we want to ask the Lord for a clear, a spiritual sky needs to be clear. Without smoke, without smog, without any kind of interference between us and God. Only this can we reach, can we touch directly what is on God's heart. Only in this way we can, we can be one with Him without any kind of um, uh, uh, illusion, any kind of uh, confusion, any kind of uh, frustration. Now, A says, the overcomers in the Lord's recovery experience the Spirit Christ as the reality of God, the Word Christ as the speaking of God, and the Light Christ as the shining of God. Now, who are the overcomers? The overcomers, they are not the co-workers. They are not, they are not referring to the elders. They are not referring to the senior brothers. The overcomers are those who live under a clear sky, who are, have been set free from the cage of religion and natural concepts. 
May the Lord make every one of us such overcomers, overcoming all our natural concept. The whole human history is built on tradition, culture, and religion, and with all the philosophical concepts. This is what the whole world is running with, and religion is a big part in today's human history. And for the Lord's recovery to go forward, we have to be set free from all those thoughts embedded so deeply in the human culture, in our human history. So we need to overcome. To be set free, such overcomers experience these three aspects of Christ, the Spirit Christ, the Word Christ, and the Light Christ. In Genesis 1, when God was about to come in to do the work of restoration, after Satan's rebellion, the wonderful earth created by God became uh, ruined, became empty and void. Darkness filled the whole earth. Then what happened? For God to come in to carry out his restoring work, the first thing was, His spirit was brooding over the death waters. We need the spirit Christ as the reality of God to move in our midst. Saints, we need to honor the spirit. We need to give the spirit the first place, the preeminence. Even though we love the truth, we love the word of God, but we don't love just the dead letters of the word. We love the word that is spirit. That is life. So the first thing in God's, in God's recovery work is for his spirit to brood over us. And secondly, in verse 3, this God, he says, he said, our God is a speaking God. He was not a dumb God. He is a speaking God. He said, let there be light. He did not keep silent. In order to bring in, bring in the restoration, God had to speak forth his word. So beside experiencing the spirit Christ as the reality of God, we also need to experience the word Christ as the speaking out of God. And also, the first thing in God's speaking was, let there be light. When the whole, while the whole earth was filled with darkness, God came in as the spirit, and he spoke, and he just flipped on that switch, light switch, right? He flipped on the light switch, let there be light. Saints, we don't want to be in darkness. I told many times in my prayer to the Lord, is, Lord, deliver me from any darkness. I like praying that verse in Psalm 36, where it says, in your light, I see light. One of the worst things with with us Christians is that when we fall into darkness, we have, we, we live by uh, uh, presumptuous presumption. And uh, we don't know what's what one of the, I would say one of the sign of a curse is being in darkness. We cannot discern what is what. So it is a great mercy of the Lord that today the light is here with us through his word. So we experience the spirit Christ 
as the reality, the word cries as God speaking, and the light cries as God's shining. B says, the overcomers in the lost recovery experience the hiding God in the intrinsic divine history within the outward human history. Isaiah 45.15 tells us, Isaiah says, God, you are a God who hides yourself. Our God, although he is all-powerful, almighty, omniscient, he knows everything, he can do everything, but he often hides himself. Even many times, it seems that he is not here. He, uh, 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 he is nowhere to be found. We pray. It seems that there is no answer. Brothers and sisters, as overcomers, we must realize our God is a God who hides himself. He hides behind all our situation, all our environment. Sometimes when we adv- encounter adverse environment, unpleasant, unfavorable situation, we pray and nothing happened. We thought that God is not listening. God is not here. No, brothers and sisters, God is a God who hides himself. Even though many times he may seem that he is absent altogether, but actually he is working very much behind the scene. Look at the book of Esther. It's the only book in the whole Bible where there is not even one time mentioning the word God. But God was very much working behind the scene in a hidden way, caring for his people, right? In these days, right, we are these days, we're all in, under the pandemic. We are suffering from uh, many chaotic situations, many tumultuous uh, environment. We pray. I believe all the saints have been praying. But believe me, brothers and sisters, it seems that not a whole lot is changing outwardly. But God is hiding behind all the situation to carry out his, uh, his purpose. He is waiting for his people to rise up to cooperate with him, right? And he is such a hidden God. He is not showy. He works behind the scene. He carries out his divine history within our outward human history. Remember the instance in re- referenced here in 1 Samuel chapter 4, when the, there was the battle against the Philistines, the children of Israel thought, oh, let's bring out the ark of God, and, we'll, and he will defend for us. He will fight for us. They took God in such an outward way, in such a superstitious way. And in that battle, well, they, they lost. The Philistines not only defeated the children of Israel, but even captured the ark. The ark of God was captured by the enemy. Can you imagine? Well, after the ark was brought to the uh, pagan land, put into the idol's temple. Well, over the night, God caused the, te- the idol to topple. The head got cut off. Well, 
the following day, they saw oh, this was the Philistines thought this may be a, just an accident. They put it back up, and another day it happened again. Our God, though, hides himself. He does not want to be, us to so-called use him in a superstitious way. He knows he knows his purpose, and he is doing everything in a hidden way, and he knows how to defend himself. He does not need you or me to defend him. He defends himself very well. Praise the Lord. But we as overcomers, we must know that he is a God who hides himself. And we learn to, to cooperate with him in this way. Don't doubt him. Don't question him. But trust in him. Believe in him. Then C says, the overcomers in the Lord's recovery have their whole being aimed at the central revelation of God and the goal of God's economy. I hope through these messages this weekend, our sight can be sharpened, that we, can, we all will have an aim. We know where, what we are aiming at. If we live as a Christian, we don't know what, wh- where we are heading as our goal. We don't know what we are aiming as our target. Then we just live in a kind of an empty and a vain way. Not only unbelievers can be empty, Christians can also be empty. If we do not know God's purpose, if we do not know the central revelation of God. The Bible is a wonderful book, and it's not an easy book to read. But, in, but hidden, embodied in this book, is the central revelation. God is speaking one thing, the central thing, throughout the all 66 books of the Bible. So as overcomers, we need to have our whole being aimed at the central revelation of God. Don't miss the God target just like one shooting an arrow. You shoot the arrow and it goes all over the place, but never hit the mark. I hope that we will not be like that. But just like Daniel, even though he himself, Daniel in the Old Testament, he was in captivity, but he had a good aim. He knew what was on God. He knew what was on God's heart. So three times a day, he opened the window of his, where he was dwelling toward Jerusalem. He prayed toward Jerusalem, just, la- just as uh, uh, God told Solomon, when you pray toward the land, toward the house, toward the, uh, toward the city, I will answer you. God, there, God's choice is with this chosen land, the land, the, the good land, the land of his choosing, and also with his temple, of his dwelling place, of the city, of his kingdom. So all our activities, all our, all our uh, uh, prayers, all our activities need to have an aim. Aim at God's land, which is the all-inclusive Christ. At God's house, which is the church. At God's, king, at God's city, which is his kingdom. Now we come to Roman numeral two. The central revelation of God is the progressive revelation of God 
in the Bible, the bachelor God, the incarnated God, the redeeming God, the indwelling God, and the incorporated God. For many of the younger, newer, newer sayings among us, you may be, I hope you will not be offended by us saying, describing God as a bachelor God. Well, give me a, a minute, I'll help you to understand why we say it this way. This first line says that the central revelation of God is a progressive revelation of God. The Bible is not, uh, is, a, is a wonderful book where God uh, gives his revelation to man. But the, pro- the revelation is progressive. There are 66 books in the Bible, and there are 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. There is a good progression from the first book, Genesis, through through the 66 books to the last book, Revelation. And in these 66 books, we see a progression of God, of the revelation of God. Well, you say, you may ask, well, does God need to progress? The Bible, didn't the Bible say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? I say, amen. Absolutely. God is the same. He has, he, he has never changed from Genesis to Revelation, even from eternity to eternity. God is the same. But essentially, in his essence, he has never changed. But if you read the Bible carefully from Genesis onward to Revelation, you see, while God, while God is a God of purpose, he wanted to carry out something according to his heart's desire, that in the course of his carrying out his purpose, he passed through different stages. The revelation of himself progresses, advances through the ages. Well, we have five designations here uh, about God's revelation. The first is the bachelor God. The second is the incarnated God. And third is the redeeming God. And fourth is the indwelling God. And lastly, is the incorporated God. If you can grasp these five uh, progressive uh, stages of God, I would say you have the grasp of the whole Bible, the whole the revelation of the whole Bible, and you then you would have a grasp of what the lost recovery is about. Let me go on. Point A says. At the beginning of the Bible, there is one single God, the bachelor God. And at the end, there is the married God. Oh, this is uh, another maybe offensive word to some of the Christians, right? Married God. How can God be married? Well, saints, these are not my words. This is the Bible's word. Didn't even Isaiah tell us? Number of times, Jehovah is our husband, right? Jehovah considered his people as his wife, not just as his creature, his uh, his uh, people uh, under him, submitting to him, but he he considered them as his wife. So there is the married God, and then ultimately, and the ultimately incorporated God, 
the corporate God, the New Jerusalem. At the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, for instance, we just said, uh, in the beginning, God. That God in Hebrew was Elohim. And that Elohim is, is a plural, is a plural noun. But then it says, this Elohim created, he said, <clears throat> that was in singular. This God, he is the triune God. He is one, yet he is three. He, this, this triune God, this one who is triune, he, is a, he was a single God, a bachelor God. Why do we say he is a bachelor God? Well, after he created man, Adam, in his image, in chapter, in chapter 1, then some days later, God looked at this man, and he told Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. You need a help meet. This is in chapter 2 of it, uh, and verse 18. Why would all of a sudden God had this thought? that Adam was not good to be alone. He needs a complement. He needs a counterpart. Well, Adam was powerful. You know, Adam was much more powerful than any human being ever lived on the earth. He was smart. He was powerful. He, he can name off all the animals. Right? He was, but he does, he, in one sense, he does not need any help. He could do everything. But yet Jehovah God all of a sudden said, it is not good for man to be alone. You need a help meet. Saints, when God spoke that word, it was a window opening up what was in God's heart himself. He considered himself. He was almighty. He was all powerful, but he was all alone. He wanted to have a counterpart. He wanted to be, uh, have a complement. So from the very first day when he conceived his eternal purpose, he wanted to gain a man, humanity, a corporate man, to, to be his match. Well, I mean, this is a challenge. He is the almighty God. And human beings, humanity, is a creature. How can a creator be matched with a creator creature? Well, God had a way to do this. But anyhow, in Genesis 2, he told Adam, it's not good for man to be alone, implying that God feels the same way about himself. He does not want to be a single bachelor God. He wants to be married. He wants to have a counterpart. Then at the end of the Bible, there is the married God. Well, when you reach Revelation chapters 21 and 22, what do you see there? You see the new Jerusalem descending from heaven. And John was told by the angel, look, this is the bride of the lamb, the bride of the lamb, right? And isn't that sweet that in Genesis 1-1, the single God says, let there be light. He was all by himself. He spoke as a single God, 
as a bachelor god. But then when you reach Revelation 22, there was the bride. There was the bride who is the totality of all the redeemed, regenerated, transformed believers now together become his corporate bride, matching him. In chapter 23, chapter 22 of Revelation, verse 17, it says what? The spirit and the bride say come. So finally, the one who spoke only by himself, singly, in Genesis 1, now he speaks together with his counterpart, his wife. He and the wife spoke together. You know, many times, uh, in the, in, sometimes in the meeting, we see uh, um, couples, um, you know, these days we, we on the Zoom meeting, we have uh, some families sitting there together, husband and wife, and we have one couple here. They, they always like to speak together. Uh, after the husband spoke, the wife spoke, sometimes the wife spoke first, the husband spoke. And it's, uh, it's so sweet to see now it's not just a single man speaking out himself, by himself. Now there's a couple. He is a married God. Right? So this is not our, our thought. This is a, a fact that is presented to us in the Bible. So as a married God, he is the ultimately incorporated God. Well, this may be a new word to us, incorporated God. If you look, I look up into the dic- in the dictionary, what is to incorporate? Incorporate, dictionary says, is to put or introduce into a body or mass as an integral part or parts. Another definition is to form or combine into one body or uniform substance as ingredients. I like these two definitions of incorporate. God eventually has become an incorporated God. He has included another party, that is humanity, into himself to put or introduce into a body or mass as an integral part. We become an integral part of God. Don't misunderstand me to think, brothers. Don't misunderstand to say that uh, uh, we, are, we are evolving, being evolved into the Godhead. No, never. That is blasphemy. That is heret- heretical. We will never evolve into the Godhead to be part of the Trinity. No, never. But we have been evolved. We have been brought into a very intimate, organic relationship with God. We are part of him. And like this definition says, to form or combine into one body. As we'll see in a little bit, the new Jerusalem, the very uh, consummating work of God at the end of the Bible, we see God and man, man and God, being formed, being combined being incorporated, constituted together into one body. Right? So <clears throat> this is the ultimately incorporated God, the corporate God, the new Jerusalem. B says, the Lord's recovery is the recovery of Christ in his full ministry of three 
stages. Again, to help the young, the, the newer ones among us, the lost recovery is not to recover um, uh, our, uh, our family life, our social life, to have a better, um, uh, 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 you know, better uh, religious life, uh, better, uh, you know, the Lord, that's, what, that's not what the lost recovery is about. The lost recovery is to recover Christ. Christ is topmost in God's heart, right? In God's economy, he exalts Christ. He wants Christ to be preeminent. He wants Christ to be the one who fills the all things, who fills the whole universe. This is why when he made man in Genesis 1, he made man what? In his image. Whose image? In the image of Christ. Adam was made in the image of Christ, to resemble Christ. God wants this Christ to fill the whole earth. God charged man to say, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Of course, there was a type. And that type eventually failed God. He did not carry out what God intended for him. So God himself, 4,000 years later, had to come himself, incarnated, to be the man in the man Jesus Christ, to fulfill what he originally intended. So <clears throat> the Lord's recovery is not a movement to recover any kind of... Uh, 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 teachings of men, any kind of uh, uh, religious system. The Lord's recovery is here on the earth to recover Christ, and particularly Christ in his full ministry of three stages. What three stages? Incarnation, inclusion, and intensification. Incarnation refers to Christ becoming a man, right? When he came uh, to become flesh, he was incarnated. Inclusion refers to when Christ, after his death and resurrection, he became an all-inclusive, life-giving, compound spirit. As the spirit, he included, now he has picked up divinity, humanity, and human living, all the processes, all the aspects of living in the human life, and also his death, his resurrection, all the processes that Jesus Christ passed through are now included in this spirit. So Jesus, in the second stage, is in the stage of inclusion. And then thirdly, the stage of intensification. This is in reference to the book of Revelation, in the, in the age of Revelation, when the degradation of the church reaches the darkest stage, that the Spirit of God was referred to as the seven spirits, not seven different separate spirits, but the one Spirit of God sevenfold intensified, just like a lamp, like a three-way lamp. Maybe one day someone will we have a seven-way lamps when the room is too dark, not that dark. Maybe the first level is good enough. When it's very dark, 
then you turn it up to the seventh level. In this dark age, especially toward the end of this of this age, the world reaches its darkest point. The sev- the spirit of God is now intensified to be the seven in sevenfold spirit. Seven spirits. So these are the three stages describing Christ's full ministry, incarnation, inclusion, and intensification. Now the next sentence is a very good, uh, wonderful sentence, worthwhile for us to pray read, for us to even, as a, mem- uh, as a memorable, frameable quote, hang on the wall to remind us, as a different, if there's a need, if someone asks, what is the lost recovery? You can answer this way. The lost recovery is God becoming the flesh. The flesh becoming the life-giving spirit and the life-giving spirit becoming the sevenfold intensified spirit to build up the church that becomes the body of Christ and that consummates the new Jerusalem. It is a mouthful, but it gives you a real capitalized uh, a view of what the Lord's recovery is. It's nothing about pro- your prosperity. It's not, nothing about the betterment of your, of your human life, your business. It's about God becoming flesh and his flesh becoming the life-giving spirit and the life-giving spirit becoming the sevenfold intensified spirit to build up the church that becomes the body of Christ and consummates the new Jerusalem. I would even encourage some of the younger uh, saints there with bright minds, uh, keep it in your, even try to pray read it until you can recite it, right? It it should be in you. Now, subpoint one says, God becoming the flesh is the bachelor God becoming the incarnated God and the redeeming God. We know in Genesis 1, God was single. He was the bachelor God, almighty, all-powerful. Then one day, 4,000 years later, he came to be incarnated. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh. That was Jesus Christ. He was born in Bethlehem, in a manger. Well, and according to Isaiah 9-6, the little child lying there in the manger, he was the mighty God. He was the eternal father. Can you imagine? For us to recognize the God who's, who created heaven and earth, all-powerful, we all recognize he is God. But when you look at the little babe lying in the manger, could he be God? Well, the Magi from the East, they came to worship him with the gifts. They recognized as they were led by the star, they came to worship him. And Isaiah says, right, unto us, a child is born, a son is given. His name shall be called the mighty God and the eternal father. Wasn't that a progression from the God in the heaven, almighty, 
omniscient, omnipotent, becoming a little babe in the manger. So this little child in the manger, he was the incarnated God. He was the incarnated God. In flesh and blood, he became associable with man. He can be very close to people, to men. Then after living on the earth for 33 and a half years, he was put on the cross, put on the cross. And as he was kneeling there, what was he? What was that man hanging there on the cross with the five bleeding wounds? Was he one of the criminals like the other two who were hanging there with him? Even one of the other robbers said, oh, he deserved this. He must have done something wrong. He was considered by, 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 by all the people. He was a criminal. Not knowing this, very, this, this one he thought was a criminal was the very God. Oh, saints, was not that an, an advancement, a progression from the almighty, omnipotent God in Genesis 1, who cre- could create heaven and earth to become a little babe in the manger as the incarnated God, and now as one hanging on the cross with the five bleeding wounds, shedding blood to redeem mankind. He is the redeeming God. The one hanging there on the cross is also God, but he is the re- redeeming God. Then number two says, The flesh becoming the life-giving spirit and the life-giving spirit becoming the sevenfold intensified spirit is the indwelling God as the compounded God and the intensified God. This very Christ hanging on the cross, he died. He gave gave up his his spirit, and then he was buried. But that's not the end of the story. After three days... We are told he arose from the dead in resurrection. Oh, saints, Christ's story did not stop at the cross. The cross was just a passageway to usher him into the realm of resurrection. And in resurrection, he became a life-giving spirit. In the evening of his resurrection, according to John chapter 20, He came back to visit his disciples in a closed room, right, with a closed door. Then he says to them, what, peace be to you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Then he breathed into them. Now he is that breath. He is that spirit. That very breath being breathed into the disciples was the very God who was creating at the beginning in Genesis, who was born as a man in the manger, who was hanging on the cross. Now he became a breath. That breath is the spirit who can now enter into the disciples, right? As the compounded, life-giving spirit indwelling the believers. Wasn't that, wasn't that a progression? Wasn't that an advancement? The God who was dwelling in the unapproachable light, far away from man, forbidden for man to touch, 
to see now can be within you and me. He is indwelling us. It's the same God, but yet he has passed through different stages. He is now the indwelling God. And even he is compounded, right? Due to the darkness, the intensity of the darkness, he is intensified as seven spirits, but he is still within us. He is still indwelling us. Now, number three says, the built-up church that becomes the body of Christ and that consummates the New Jerusalem is the incorporated God, the body Christ, that consummates the corporate God, the New Jerusalem, the ultimate union, mingling, and incorporation of the process and and consummated triune God with the process and consummated tripartite church. So the last stage that God arrived at, passing through the processes, through his uh, the progression, he reached the stage of becoming the incorporated God, the body Christ. This is realized as the new Jerusalem. You know, even when the Lord was uttering his prayer before he went to the cross in John 17, he says, Father, that they may be one, even as we are one, that you are in me and I am in you, that they may be in us. The Lord prayed that not only he was in the Father, the Father was in him, that he prayed that after his death and resurrection, these believers can be in them, can be in the Father, can be in, in the Son. This is incorporation. In, theolo- in theology, you know, we call this coherence of the divine trinity. The Father in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and the Son is in the Spirit, the Spirit is in the Son. They indwell within each other. The three of the divine trinity do not only coexist with each other, they co-inhere, they indwell within one another. And it is God's, in God's economy, he desired to gain a people, not only to save them, to redeem them from perdition, to make them loving, lovers of Christ, seekers of Christ. He wants to incorporate them into himself, to become part of him, right? So he become in the new Jerusalem, then um, in Revelation 19 and 21, we see what? In the new Jerusalem as the bride of Christ, right? And then with the new Jerusalem, we see in chapter 22, there is, uh, uh, there is on the mountain, on the top of the mountain, there is the throne of God and, the, and of the Lamb. And from the throne flow, flows a river of water of life, bright and clear, right? And that river spirals down that mountain to reach all the gates, all four sides of the city. The entire thing, the new Jerusalem, is called the Bride of Christ. You know, before, when I... When I, when I, uh, uh, you know, think of the New Jerusalem, I still refer that to that is the ultimate consummation as the church 
It's true. That is the ultimate consummation of the church. But don't forget, that church is incorporated with God, right? In the midst of that New Jerusalem, behind the walls of the New Jerusalem, is this mountain with God and Christ on the throne. So God and Christ, who is the redeeming God, is part of this incorporated God. You can call this the church. You can call this uh, corporate Christ. You can call this incorporated God. It's the same thing. So when you look at the New Jerusalem, it looks like Jasper, right? It looks like Jasper. And in Revelation chapter 4, we are told that the one sitting on the throne, he appears like Jasper. God appears like Jasper. And when we look at the city, also it looks like Jasper. The whole wall is Jasper. So at this stage, brothers and sisters, you cannot differentiate which part is God, which part is man, which it is God in man and man in God. This is the incorporated God. This is the body Christ. This is the corporate God as the new Jerusalem. It's at this stage, it is the ultimate fulfillment of the Lord's prayer in John 17. Not only that he is in the Father and the Father is in him, but also we, his believers, are in him. I hope this is clear to you. I know this is uh, not an not a, uh, easy concept to grasp, but I believe the Spirit will make this clear to you. We come to Romans 3. The Lord's present recovery is the recovery of the body Christ, the Christ, in the church life. The body Christ is the incorporated God. I hope we, we will see this. Dear saints, in these last about 100 years of the Lord's recovery work among us, from the time of Brother Watchman Nee until now, much of the truths have been released, standing on the shoulders of the ones who have gone before and continuing to go forward. Now, especially through these two brothers, and even more so with Brother Lee, we have been brought, I would say the truths have been brought to the highest point, where we see not only that we can be justified, man can be justified, uh, man can be sanctified, man be, can overcome. But now we see there is that God can be worked to become one with man, into man, to become one with man, and man can be brought into God to become one with God, to issue in the body Christ. What the Lord has been doing among us in these last 100 years or so he has been building, up, building us up together from the east and west, north and south, right through the, through the blending together, through all the local churches, building up, building, building the saints one with another. Here on this earth today, there is, there is a people, very particular. I'm talking about the whole recovery, saints, saints from the east, from the west, from the north and the south. The walls are broken down. There's no color, no language, no race, no nationality. We all are blended together to be one corporate people. 
you know, back in March, you know, when the COVID started and it was breaking out in China in very intensified. And the saints in China uh, and the Far East was uh, really had a strong burden crying out for the time to have a global prayer, round the clock prayer. And the saints also in the West, we responded. We had to rise up together to pray. This is not just something about China. This is something uh, on the whole body, on the whole earth. So we began to engage in that 24-hour global prayer. Initially, I thought we were just praying about the pandemic. And that was, that was how we began. But as we began to pray round the clock with what? Hundreds of thousands of saints signed up different time slots, 15-minute time slot. When I prayed, I had a deep conviction within me that, Lord, this is not just praying about China. This is not just praying some saints, some seeking saints, praying here and there on the earth. Here is a corporate man rising up together to pray as one man. There's no east, no west, no north, no south. No this race, no that race. Today on the whole earth, there is a recovered people as a whole, learning. We are still on our way. We are not fully there. But since the Lord is perfecting us to be that, to, ex- to enter into the experience and reality of the corporate Christ, the body Christ that is revealed in the New Testament, this is what's going to end this age because because this is what will constitute the bride of Christ. When Christ returns, he is not coming for different peoples. Uh, he'll, he'll visit East, uh, 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 Far East and he'll visit Europe. He'll visit uh, uh, Australasia. No, he is coming back for one corporate bride. Who is, who is that new man? Who is that body Christ, the corporate Christ? Oh, when I, when I was engaging in that prayer, I had this deep conviction. I was so encouraged that, you know, during this time, we know there are many spiritual persons prayed. Brother, you know, Billy Graham's daughter gave a, uttered a tremendous prayer, very spiritual prayer. Wonderful. I appreciated that very much. But he, she was just a Christian, loving the Lord really fearing the Lord and praying to the Lord. But as we, as part of this corporate Christ, praying, it means something. We may not be as spiritual. We may not be as, uh, as uh, utterance, utterance-ful. But my, when I realize when we are praying, I'm not praying alone as an individual Christian, fearing God, honoring God, but I'm praying together with all the saints in one body, east and west, north and south, as one corporate body. This is what the Lord is doing, is perfecting us to become, to enter into the reality of this incorporated God. Okay, let me move on uh, quickly. A says, 1 Corinthians twelve twelve says, even as the body is one and has many members, Yet all the members of the body, being many, are one body, so also is the Christ. The Christ, in this verse, is not the individual Christ, but the corporate Christ, Christ incorporated with all his members. B, 
the lost recovery is the recovery of Christification, a recovery purely and wholly of the person of Christ to gain the reality of the body Christ in the church life. The Lord's recovery is a recovery of Christ. This Christ has to be, has to multiply. He was that one grain of the unique grain of wheat that fell into the earth and died. And he produced many grains. And we are the many grains. All the many grains look exactly like that original grain. And all these grains ground together, molded, uh, 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 needed together to become one loaf. Saints, this is what is on God's heart. We have been speaking about the body of Christ a lot in these recent years, even toward the, the last 10 years of brotherly's ministry life. But this body of Christ, we must realize, is not a separate body. This body of Christ is connected to the head. It's in oneness with the head to become, to form the corporate Christ. So the Lord's recovery is a recovery of Christification. Christ has to increase in you and me. Christ has to even be expanded, be enlarged, be magnified, that he will fill the whole universe. The Lord wants to fill this, the whole U.S., the whole earth, with this corporate Christ, the body Christ. It is a church on the one hand, but it's Christ on the other hand. Because Christ is filling all his people, saturating them, filling them, overflowing from them. The Lord's recovery must be a pure and a pure product of Christ and Christ alone. C says today, the Lord's recovery, the Lord is building the body Christ in the church life. In the body Christ, Christ is wrought into all his members, and all his members are wrought into him by the growth in life and the transformation in life for the expression of Christ. From the day that we were regenerated, Christ enters into us, bringing us the life of God, and we begin to grow, and we begin to be transformed. More and more, little by little, we become Christified for the expression of Christ. And little one says, in the body Christ, we enjoy Christ as everything. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we see the revelation of the body Christ in that same book. In, chapter, in verse 3, same chapter, in verse 3, verse 13, we call upon the name of the Lord. We declare Jesus is Lord. We drink of the Spirit. We are given to drink one Spirit. In this, in this body Christ, Christ is everything to us. We drink of him. We live by him. He meets all. He is everything that we need. And two says, in the body Christ, there is a function of all the members, right? In verses 14 to 22 of chapter 12, we see the many members functioning, the head, the foot, the eyes. They all have different functions, but they function harmoniously in oneness with one another, in oneness with the head. So there's no member is idling. No member is useless. Every member is useful. This is indeed the God-ordained way to recover every member functioning. 
This is only can be realized in the body Christ. Number three, in the body Christ, there is the blending together of the members in the oneness of the triune God. We see this in verses 23 to verse 27. Said, no, there is no strong members, no weak members, no uh, beautiful members, no ugly members. We are all being blended together. In the body of, in the body Christ, we experience the blending of all the members. There will be no distinction. We all become one, just as the Lord prayed in John 17, that we all would become one. We are lost in him. We are lost in the triune God. And we are just uh, one body, one new man, one corporate Christ. Okay, we finally come to the last section. Number four, the divine revelation in the Bible eventually shows us the new Jerusalem, which is a corporate entity and incorporation of God and all his redeemed, where God is in Christ and Christ is in all of us. A, we will be one with God in life, nature, element, and appearance. Just as I said, God appeared like Jasper in, Re- in Revelation 4, and then in Revelation 21, the whole city appeared as the appearance of Jasper. So God's appearance and this city's appearance are the same because God is this city. This city is God, is the corporate God. B says every believer will become a part of the incorporated God. C, God's eternal purpose is to produce this corporate entity composed of all that God is, contained in, mingled with, and expressed through humanity. So here, God's, at this stage, God's eternal purpose will be fully fulfilled, right? Through the development, the progression of the revelation of God from his being the single bachelor God to his being the married, incorporated God. We see the fulfillment of God's heart's desire. Now, finally, as the incorporated God, God has gained a people in humanity where in, in whom they, he dwells. And also he is the, the dwelling place they dwell in. They, they and God, God and they are fully not only joined together, mingled together, but even incorporated together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for this uh, uh, revelation, this vision of the body Christ, of the body Christ, and and we are must be in the recovery of this body Christ to consummate God's eternal purpose. Okay, I I finished here. I turn the meeting back to Brother David.